Listener Production. So last week here on The Briefing, Antoinette brought you an exclusive story about a dozen black models who boycotted Melbourne Fashion Week over claims of racism. Now, the story made headlines here and in the UK, and in this episode, we have a follow-up. So now that Melbourne Fashion Week has finished, we're going to find out if the boycott had any effect. I really feel that organisations like Melbourne Fashion Week need to put targets in place, they need to have an action plan, they need to have real goals in place so they can actually make diversity and inclusion happen. Yeah, so that's our briefing. First, here are today's big headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Friday the 27th of October. Hey, Tom. Hi, everyone. Well, it's been revealed that Bruce Lehrman is facing rape charges in Queensland. Until yesterday, when the court removed a suppression order on his name, many in the media knew he was facing the charges, but had to refer to him as, quote, a high-profile man. So we can now report that the 28-year-old former Liberal Party staffer is charged with two counts of rape alleged to have occurred in Toowoomba in October 2021. Yeah, so there were changes to Queensland's laws um, on October 3 that uh, changed reporting around alleged rapists. Um, The change meant that they could be named before they were committed to stand trial. But then uh, Bruce Lehrman's lawyers applied to continue to keep his identity hidden, but that was denied yesterday in Brisbane's Supreme Court. Uh, Lehrman's matter will be heard again in Toowoomba next month and he intends to defend the charges. And the search for a Sydney man continues after a 21-year-old female water polo coach was found dead in the gymnasium of a school. So the beaten body of Lily James uh, was discovered by police after a welfare check at the St Andrews Cathedral School in Sydney CBD. The actual scene itself was quite confronting for the, uh, the police who turned up. So that's Superintendent Martin Fireman there. So she suffered significant head injuries. And then shortly after her body was discovered, police were called to a clifftop park in Sydney's eastern suburbs where they found items connected to the attack. Um, So then police spent yesterday searching that area for the 24-year-old hockey coach, Paul Tayson, who is still missing. We don't want to make any assumptions of the fact that that person may have... um, taken his own life, but that's just another alarming inquiry. Yeah, so the man, Taysom, was a former student of the school but had recently begun working there in the sports department and it's understood that uh, he was in a brief relationship with the woman, Lily James, who appears to have been murdered. Yeah, my heart breaks for the students, Tom, who apparently had a really close relationship. Lily was super close in age to, you know, many kids, especially in in grade 12, who are now having to sit their exams. Um, So they've had to go off campus now to sit those exams elsewhere because the school remains a crime scene and has been closed for two days. And uh, of course, an outpouring of tributes has been posted to social media. Yeah, absolutely devastating. In the US, a manhunt continues after a mass shooting at a bowling alley and a bar left at least 18 dead and 13 injured. This city did not deserve this terrible assault on its citizens, on its peace of mind, on its sense of security. That's the main state governor, Janet Mills, there. Suspect 40-year-old Robert Card is a certified firearms instructor and a member of the U.S. Army Reserves. 
and police are urging residents to shelter in place and report any suspicious activity to authorities. Yeah, so this man's still on the loose, which is pretty frightening, and that is just a a devastating scene to turn up to just a community bowling alley. Um, there was a, a regular competition going on that evening, and people heard noises, and it took them a little while to realise that they were gunshots inside a bowling alley. I mean, could you get anything more innocent than just going for some 10-pin bowling and, you know, this absolutely shocking massacre basically happens there? Yeah, and the rampage is the deadliest US mass shooting since the Uvalde school massacre, which happened in May last year. And to finish up with some good news, thank God, (laughs) thank God for the Matildas. Yes. They won last night. They beat Iran 2-0. So next up, the Matildas are going to face the Philippines. That's on Sunday as they continue their push to compete at the Olympics next year. Yeah, and Sam Kerr delivering again. So she was on the bench initially and she came off to score in the 78th minute. Oh, talk about, it must have been pretty tense um, for her as well. And, And I can't help but think about the pressure on her always. You know, she's kind of considered to be the the secret weapon, not so secret weapon, but she is the weapon. <laughs> and she is often put on the bench due to injury or whatever. And then she comes out and delivers time and time again. Um, great that she can, but a lot of expectation nonetheless. All right. We'll catch you later. Antoinette is with you now to bring you her follow on the Melbourne Fashion Week story. since the briefing brought you the exclusive investigation in partnership with the Age newspaper into Melbourne Fashion Week and why black models are boycotting it. So 13 models were part of the initial boycott, but now dozens more have come out and said they too declined to partake in Melbourne Fashion Week for the same reasons, lack of inclusive practices, tokenism, poor pay, and almost no diversity behind the scenes when it comes to who calls the shots. Since then, the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Cap, has responded to growing media scrutiny of the popular fashion event. We completely understand the necessity to always be vigilant around uh, equity and equality. And when it comes to major events that have a high profile and attract a lot of attention, I understand why uh, statements and actions like this can be important. I do respect... Uh, the models who are making a statement uh, around fashion to really champion uh, what they see happening in the fashion sector. And I think it's a big call out to everybody involved in fashion, whether it's a big fashion events uh, like Melbourne Fashion Week, uh, through to what's happening day to day in fashion, every effort we can make to ensure that we stamp out discrimination is important. I think uh, a genuine attempt to address uh, the concerns and realities that a lot of people face. The City of Melbourne has an obligation to be a leader and it's important that we do make genuine and real change uh, through events like Melbourne Fashion Week. So what next for the fashion industry, given the concerns raised, relate to industry practices across the board? And how can real change happen and not just translate into defensive pushback? 
Joanne Huey-Miller is the former editor of Inside Retail Magazine. She's a diversity advocate and currently works with retail strategy agency, The General Store. Joanne, thanks so much for joining the briefing. So it's been a week since 13 Models came out boycotting. What have you seen unfold publicly, but also behind the scenes? You know, I've seen so much great coverage in terms of mainstream media. You know, I think that's fantastic that it's out there in terms of the mainstream. But I haven't actually seen a lot of conversations happening in the industry when it's, you know, if we're talking about this specific event, you know, Mm. conversations around diversity and inclusion have been going on for a long time. But it sort of concerns me that in terms of the industry, both the fashion industry and the advertising industry, as well as, as the retail industry, I haven't heard a lot of discussion just yet. Perhaps that's because Unfortunately, these sort of conversations have been going on for a very long time and things have been moving at a glacial pace. So perhaps, you know, the industry is a bit immune to it by now, which is, you know, quite sad and quite disappointing. The story's made headlines here and in the UK. What impact do you think the boycott would have on Melbourne Fashion Week's reputation? Because you do say that these conversations have been happening for a long time. Did, did these sorts of things need to happen to force the industry's hand in, in some way? Unfortunately, I feel like, in all honesty, that the boycott will have very little impact on Melbourne Fashion Week's reputation. You know, these conversations, as I mentioned before, have been going on for years and years on an international scale when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And in many cases, you know, it's still lip service, despite the fact that people have been banging on about it for a long time and there have been efforts as well. And unfortunately, my gut feeling is, is that when it comes to issues that pertain to minority groups, unfortunately, unless there's actually a major player in the fashion industry, a huge business involved that is willing to speak up and out, little impact will be made. So from your experiences and travel abroad, because I, you know, I know you, you travel and you assess kind of brands and retail internationally, how does Australia compare to other markets when it comes to representation and inclusion? We're behind. I mean, as I mentioned before, you know, diversity and inclusion has been an issue for fashion across the board. I'll just say that, first of all. Internationally, everyone's, you know, struggling with it and still has problems around it. But we're behind countries like even the US, which has a majority Caucasian population. You know, the US has some giant brands with great diverse talent. We're talking about anything from Nike, Fenty, Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger. I mean, love her or hate her. If you look at Kim Kardashian's brand Skims, you know, Mm. her campaigns are full of hot people from all Mm -hmm. different backgrounds, of all different shapes and sizes. And that business is now valued at $4 billion. So you cannot tell me that there's not a genuine business case for diversity and inclusion right there. I mean, you, you compare it even to giant brands like Victoria's Secret, right? This is a brand that has been notorious for using skinny white supermodels throughout mm. its history. And only in recent years, since there's been a new CEO that's come on board, he's gone, you know what? We are not relevant to women nowadays. We need to change and overhaul how we do things and become more diverse. That business is now focusing on connecting with women at all different life stages from all different backgrounds. So they're doing things like overhauling how and where they recruit their team members. They are looking at how they maintain and nurture their team members, as well as the fact that their campaigns obviously now feature diverse Mm -hmm. women as well. So as I mentioned, you know, this is what diversity and inclusion looks like. I think it's important that you talk about those recruitment practices because on the surface, many would say, oh, but I saw black models and Asian models and other brown models on the runway. I'm seeing more in underwear ads. 
Talk me through what it's like behind the scenes, because you're also there when ads are being shot, when there are photographers. What does that level of diversity look like in terms of the creative space? It's not very diverse, quite frankly. You know, I think all brands, you know, would love to be able to tell better and richer stories. And what better way of doing that than actually getting a diverse range of thinking? You know, people of different backgrounds, you know, chipping in and sharing their experiences. You know, unfortunately, that's just not the case. So what needs to happen then for real change to occur? Because it'd probably be a bit disheartening for the models who've come out to hear, look, I don't think much is going to change. Unless what? Like, does does Melbourne Fashion Week need to announce targets or quotas? Like, what's going to have to happen for this not just to be a conversation that keeps happening for years and years and years? You know, I would have really loved Melbourne Fashion Week to take more of a leadership position, right? So I can see... that Melbourne Fashion Week over the years has been making efforts towards diversity and inclusion. I can see that in their campaigns, they've got diverse talent. I can see on their program that they've got shows highlighting First Nations designers. I think that's Mm. fantastic, you know, but as we can see, it's a journey. These issues are still going on, right? And I would love for Melbourne Fashion Week, a massive organisation like that, to step up and go, hey guys, this is the journey that we've been on. This is the great talent that we've had and use and share those learnings and collaborate with the industry because diversity and inclusion is not the sole responsibility of Melbourne Fashion Week. It is Mm. a whole community issue. And if they just stepped up and were like, hey guys, this is something that we're on, please join us, be transparent about it and actually own it so they can actually share those learnings with the rest of the industry. You know, I think that's when we can actually make change. You know, I think there are a lot of brands out there that want to change. They just don't know where to start. So Mm. if you had a great organisation like Melbourne Fashion Week and go, hey, guys, this is what we did. This is where we began. This is where we made mistakes, where it didn't Mm. work out. You know, listen, I think that's where it is. I think the other thing to note as well, which I'm very conscious of, is that it's actually not just a fashion issue. Why are these models showing up to shoots where there are hairstylists who don't know how to do their hair? Why are there makeup artists that don't have their shades of foundation? That is so unprofessional. Like, imagine showing up to work and being unprepared. You know, that is an issue in terms of beauty. It's an issue in terms of retail as well. These brands are not having their products stocked in Australia. Well, that takes me back then to my question about targets and, and public accountability. Does Melbourne Fashion Week have a responsibility to ensure that, you know, at least... For example, 20% of their hair and makeup artists are people of colour who are skilled in, in textured hair and dark skin, similarly for photographers, for fashion designers, for the, uh, for the creatives behind the scenes, to, so that they can actually put their money where their mouth is and not just lean into diversity when it's tokenistic. Yes, 100%. I really feel that, you know, organisations like Melbourne Fashion Week need to put targets in place. They need to have an action plan. They need to have um, real goals in place so that they can actually make diversity and inclusion happen. You know, we're not talking about just some sort of airy-fairy, you know, we're just mm. going to become more diverse. You know, unfortunately, it's very easy to fall into the default position of just hiring people that you know. Mm. and people that look like you, right? So you need to actually make deliberate plans, have deliberate actions in place to make change happen. I think it's important also, Joe, to acknowledge brands that are trying and that have made some progress. Otherwise, people feel like, oh, you know, we're one of the good ones. We don't get acknowledged. Don't lump us in with the others. Are there any that brands or campaigns that stand out to you that are doing quite well? 
Yeah, look, I'm really proud of some of the Australian brands that I've seen that have made real efforts in this space. Country Road, without a doubt, is a great champion for the First Nations community. You know, they have used incredible Indigenous talent like Nathan Maguire, Billie Jean Hamlet as their ambassadors. Mm. I've seen them all over their campaigns, which I think is great work. But then on top of that, they've also supported Indigenous designers through mentorships. They've consulted with Indigenous leaders. They've also got a reconciliation action plan to support the First Nations community as well. So they're doing a lot of great work in that space. And that has actually been a long journey for them. Mm. And they've brought their customers on that with them, right? So I think that's great. Bonds is another great one as well. They've hired diverse talent in their campaigns and they support queer communities in terms of their philanthropic work as well. I just want to add as well, when I talk Mm. about diversity and inclusion, I'm not just, for me, it's not just about people of colour. It's also about people of different abilities, shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. as well. Bonds is doing great work in that space. They've just launched a Barbie campaign. It features, you know, people of different colours, different shapes and sizes as well. They also did a a model search a little while ago where they actually invited people from all different backgrounds. Um, And then there are brands like David Jones and Target as well, which are doing really good work in this space. A lot of the models were worried about backlash and not being booked moving forward. What's your sense when people speak out in an industry where everybody knows everybody? You know, are you hopeful that they're not going to be punished or, you know, is it too difficult to tell? You know, I think the thing that really makes me sad is that I sort of feel like perhaps they weren't getting booked enough, that they felt like a boycott wouldn't make as much impact to their livelihoods or Mm. their careers. That's what makes me really sad. Yeah. There's so much for everyone else to gain from this boycott that they've put themselves on the line. I think that makes me really sad. Joanne Huey-Miller, former editor of Inside Retail Magazine, diversity advocate, and she currently works for retail strategy agency, The General Store. So Melbourne Fashion Week wraps up on Sunday. And while the headlines and public discussion about racism may well stop, hopefully the efforts to address the concerns don't. And if you miss the really raw and honest interview with model Nulwak Leth, you can check that out from last Friday. That episode's called Why Are Black Models Boycotting Melbourne Fashion Week? All right, in your feed tomorrow, the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you interviewing this week? Hey, Tom. Hey, team. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with one of Australia's best known and loved modern authors, Trent Dalton, for this Saturday's Weekend Briefing episode. Trent is, of course, the author of Boy Swallows Universe, as well as a whole bunch of other works. Um, He's written both fiction and non-fiction. You'll remember All Our Shimmering Skies and Love Stories, I'm sure, and he's got a new book called Lola in the Mirror. Trent is an extraordinarily lovely, kind and deeply sentimental person and it was just an absolute delight talking to him about his work, his writing, his family and what his hopes are for those who read and in- interpret his stories in in a new way, even a way that he never envisioned. Wow, that is a huge interview, Trent Dalton. That'll be amazing. So get that in your feed tomorrow and the rest of us will be back Monday. See ya. See ya.